Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the man in free Dan. <laughs> I actually have a story about that. That's for later. I was going to say the her and er, her early. Er, her Because we're like recording, recording so early. earlier in the day. <laughs> my name is Summer Yeager. I'm here with my beautiful co-host Joy. And I can't, I know I asked you. Well, no, I don't know. <laughs> I know so little these days. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, have I asked you? In my brain, I did. We, we no longer make knowledge claims <laughs> no. on this podcast. My epistemology, I think, I think is going to be the the thing now. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I have a memory of asking you this, but I have no memory of your answer. So then I was like, maybe I didn't ask her. Okay. Are you playing Wordle? I am not. I have not been playing Wordle. I have become aware of Wordle. Yeah, everyone's aware of Wordle. Everyone's yeah. doing their thing. Yeah. And I have thought to myself, yeah. I should probably play Wordle. No, you should. But I don't know how it works at all. And I'm like, well, you just download it and you figure out how you it works. You don't even have to. It's a website. Oh. It's just on it's just a web page. Okay. It's British. It's okay. like something something dot UK. Okay. Um, if you just Google Wordle, Wordle. it's there. Hmm. I love it because... Is it like a daily puzzle? Kind of like a yeah, crossword? just one. Okay. You just solve one word a day. One okay. five-letter word a day. And, um, you know, Eric got into it first. Oh, interesting. Eric? The first person I saw was Candy. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. Well, Eric is, like, strangely really good at word games. Like, Okay. He I can see that. typically beats me at word hmm. games. He claims to be bad at spelling, He's sharking um, you. But he's not. He's like, I'm so bad <laughs> yes. at spelling. He is not bad at spelling. I, oh, man. Word games. Just, <laughs> I give up. I, I can't play Scrabble <laughs> with him. He absolutely destroys me in Scrabble. And he usually has a better Wordle score than me. So my one goal, goal this last week, I was to have a better morning and I'm like, I will not be bested. I will, I will do at least one better. So you have six tries. To figure okay. out a five-letter word. Okay. So, like, you type in a word, and if any of the letters in that word are in the word of the day, it'll turn yellow. It'll turn oh, green. Okay. It'll be a green block if it's that letter is in the word and it's in the right spot in the word. Okay. So it's And then yellow if it's just Somewhere there, in present. the word. Okay. You didn't put it in the right... That's okay. not the right... Okay. And it's just fun. I mean, I, fi- I figured it was a word game of some kind, and I like... The- I do crossword puzzles all- almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> I do crossword puzzles. It's kind of you might, a thing about... Maybe you guys didn't you know might that. Like, I didn't know that about you. Um, like, you must have an app. Yeah, I have an app. A crossword puzzle. You know why... Let me tell you, this is a little factoid of like my Reformed Baptist upbringing in a very small church. But one reason that I can't handle crosswords is I remember like in our um, Wednesday night prayer meeting when the kid we would the kids would have like a lesson Uh while the adults were praying. 
And uh, if like the teacher was sick or something, then whoever would come in would just give us like a Bible crossword to do. <laughs> and that made me so mad. Right. <laughs> As a child that so I think crosswords kind of represent just like. Eh, we didn't really prepare anything, so yes. here, do this. Yes, and so the Bible crosswords, like, I did not like them. I didn't enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And, like, it would become a race. And I was always the youngest one in the group. Yeah. So, like, everyone had literally years of reading and writing right. on me. So, like, it was just, like... <sighs> yeah. At uh, a certain point, you could hold your own, but there was a no, period where it's, like... Grade, yeah. the sixth graders are kicking my behind. Right. <laughs> it's, like, playing with... Eric and Scrabble. But anyway, <laughs> all that to say, you should play Wordle. Okay. I Especially finding, I mean, like I said, I already do. It's It can't take as long as a crossword puzzle even. So There have been days where I've been so mad like at the game that it's taken me all day to play it because I'll have all the letters and I'll be like, oh. Well, so especially if you only have a certain tries, then you, you kind of hold on. Yes. Um, so... It's obviously breaking all the laws to say what the word of the day is. But since this word was used already, it's not going to be used anytime soon. So the other day, the word, it, it, there's a, it started with a K-N-O. Okay. Five-letter word. Obviously, it's knock. I mean, okay. obviously. No. No. The word was null. K-N-O-L-L. Oh, okay. And I was just like, that just made me so mad. I was mad. It was the first time. Wait, did I get it that day? I don't think I got it that day. Anyway, all that to say, sometimes no. the words are done, dumb. Um, but yeah, and you get a little strategy. Like I start with yeah. the same two words every day. Well, that's what I've done crosswords with Matthew, and he's always like, "How are you getting these?" And there's like a, there is a skill, yeah, to crosswords because there's, mm-hmm. it's like it's not a skill of necessarily knowing the clues, but it's you read the clues in a certain way. Uh-huh. That and like then you have to. It's strategic. You have to use yes. the title of the crossword puzzle to. Yes. Yeah. So I'm you like, it's a whole strategic. thing. It's a thing. It's not just. Yeah. It's not just good at like trivia knowledge, which no. my brain happens to soak up more than any other kind of knowledge. But <laughs> that's one thing. But <laughs> that's the knowledge you still have. <laughs> trivia. <laughs> the painful knowledge <laughs> that no one needed. You should go on Jeopardy. I've thought about, we should, what if we did like a trivia night? Trivia Matthew night. Matthew took me on okay. a date a few months ago and they were doing a trivia night at the restaurant we went to. And a part of me was like. The whole restaurant? Yeah. Because they have, like at bars, they usually do, they'll, some bars. Oh, that's a they real have thing. like a trivia night. I thought night. that was only on TV. So you like have a team and I'm assuming it's high tech now that everyone has phones and all that. That's but, true. That's uh, really fun. We should Sign do that up. sometime. I love, I mean, I am bad at it, but I love playing. Well, and if you're on the same team, it like, right. you're just competitive with knowledge. other people. I Eric's like good at trivia. Well. Maybe it could be like a double date thing. Yeah. The, between we, the four of us, I feel we like have we do really well. Random knowledge between the four of us. Yeah. We'll let you guys know how okay. it goes. Yeah. Because <laughs> we'll it's going to happen. We have to do this now. <laughs> trivia night. What was I about to tell you? I don't remember. You can leave us a voicemail at 470. <laughs> Wait, we didn't even introduce yourself. Oh yeah, I'm Joy. <laughs> there she is. You can J O Y if if Joy's the wordle <laughs> of the day. It's probably gonna be somewhat easy to figure out. Probably won't be seeing that. Uh oh, if Wordle Yours was could... only three letters, ooh, that would be rough. 
They would have to get very creative. I feel like that would be hard. Yeah. So it's always five. It's always five. Okay. Five letters every day. Gotcha. All right. Which is upsetting because every word I know is six letters. <laughs> That's what I'm learning <laughs> as I play Wordle. Every word I know is six letters. <laughs> you can leave us a voicemail <laughs> at 470-465-0475. Uh, you can join our book club or just support us at patreon.com slash sheologians. And we've got mugs and stickers and cell phone cases and hoodies and t-shirts and all kinds of we don't like feminism things at shopsheologians.com. Yeah. Okay, so it's my turn to tell you a story. It is. It's a, And we're moving on to the second wave yes. now. Welcome. I was relieved to be out of the first wave. Um, yes. And obviously, for our listeners, we are we are approaching this topic differently than before. Like in talking about the two women that we did, we did not cover like the, all of the major issues in the first wave of feminism because we were talking about two particular people. We're kind of telling the story of feminism in that way of just like focusing on the people that really made things happen. What is the character of feminism? Yeah. It's by looking at the character of its players. Of the people. Yeah. And it's actually been a real big learning experience for me. Not that I thought I had nothing to learn, but just like looking at it in this way has highlighted things for me that I knew but never really saw clearly. So I actually have a little exercise for us to do at the end. Oh, cool. um, That just really plays on that. Um, Okay. So I am going to tell you guys about Betty Friedan. She is the author of The Feminine Mystique. And I also realized as I was reading her that I face swapped her my whole life. I have face swapped her with Gloria Steinem for my whole life. They blur together. Why? (laughs) Scene one feminist, scene (laughs) Scene them all. all. Like, I was confronted as I... Um, now I'm like, do I... Okay, do you have their faces up straight? Because let's see if I... I've been face swapping. Um, when I was... I just was grabbing information. Like, I wanted to have the year she was born, the year mm. she died, like, whatever. And, of course, on those kinds of pages where it's just boring information about people, they have pictures. And right. when her picture... I was like, <gasps> wait what does Gloria Steinem look like? <laughs> and then I realized all this time I'd face swapped them. Huh. I knew I had their work straight. Right. I just didn't have their faces <laughs> straight. So anyway. Yeah. It's but, an interesting thing that happens when you haven't met someone in person. <laughs> they both were very busy around the same time. So yes. <clears throat> yes. Betty Friedan was born Betty Naomi Goldstein. Betty, B-E-T-T-Y-E. Never seen that before in my life. Uh, In 1921, she was from Peoria, Illinois. Interestingly enough, my grandma, also named Betty, also from Peoria. Peoria. Okay. Um, I've ridden the train through there. So, (laughs) Peoria, you up to stuff. (laughs) All right. Um, So her dad was an immigrant from Russia, and he owned a jewelry store, which I imagine owning a jewelry store it's got to be, like, pretty lucrative. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just imagining. Mm-hmm. Um, her mother 
Miriam was a editor of a local paper like for for women. So we're already kind of starting with like a we're doing it for the ladies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she went to Smith College and was a major in psychology. And she also was an editor for a newspaper there. Now, Smith College, if you guys don't know, is a very liberal. I mean, extremely liberal. I mean, let me put it this way. There's one person I know personally that went to Smith College and I knew her before she went and she came back a lesbian. And from what I've read, very common experience mm-hmm. with. So it's a lesbian re-education camp. Is it what is you're a saying. lesbian re-education camp. Um, so that's the code word for this episode. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get the post taken down. Like that. Yeah, don't please just don't do, do that. Just re education camp. Re education camp. There we go. Um so a- as she was the editor of the newspaper at Smith College, um, it was all about fighting fascism and it was all about union organizing and I mean all of that very communist stuff. Um she graduated summa cum laude in nineteen forty two. Uh very impressive. Yes. This is just an interesting theme that has honestly no bearing, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So her name was Betty, obviously, B-E-T-T-Y-E. And uh, I wonder, is that like the Russian version? I don't know. Of... I looked, I tried to look into the, the, all of these things are just like casually mentioned in different articles about her. Um, there's another one with her name that is going to come up shortly. Um, but she dropped it because she dropped the E. Eventually, because right. she felt that it was pretentious. And I'm just like, what? I don't. It's a weird spelling. I don't know how it's pretentious, but she dropped it. Okay. Um. Anyway. And I'm certain. Uh, I mean, she had no interest in being pretentious at all. Mm-mm. Not at all. Mm-mm. Okay. I already told you she went to the, the okay. editor of a liberal college. Well, she did that right before she went to Berkeley. Oh, <laughs> So after Smith, All she right. went to... She was like, the E on the end is way too pretentious <laughs> because I also have degrees from Smith and, and Berkeley. Berkeley. If I hadn't gone there, I would have kept the E. So she went from Smith College and then she did a year of research um, at the University of California in Berkeley for a year. Then she went back to the East Coast and immediately got into activism. She was writing for labor unions, um, just lots of stuff about the UE, which is the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America. Um, The collective. Yes. Uh, So she was very, very, she was an activist. She Mm -hmm. was writing, she was doing basically everything she could to change the world, which, as we know, most of the main feminists, this is what they threw their lives into. Well, five years later, uh, so in 1947, she married a guy named Carl Friedman. But when they got married, he changed his name to Friedan. They took the man out of it, literally. So... I was looking in, so the stuff with, like, the names kept coming up. Like, she dropped the E because it's pretentious. And then the guy that she married, Friedman, they take the man out of it when they get married. Like, he changes his name, too, and it becomes Friedan, which I just, I wanted to know more about that, but I didn't find anything. I just thought, 
she wouldn't marry a guy if he, his last name had man in it. I don't know. Anyway. <clears throat> I mean, now it has Dan in it. That's a man's name. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Right. Well, all right. That's very, uh, I mean, you know. It's just interesting. I just, like I said, this like weird stuff with names kept coming up. And, you know, women are, well, that, I think with Lucy Stone, right? Or whatever, she Mm -hmm. wouldn't take the last name. And the names have meaning and they have symbolism. Well, there's a reason why a woman takes a man's last name and she joins his family in a different way than... Right. Like he doesn't join her family. Right. He didn't become right. Goldstein. So obviously, I mean, it makes sense that there's a rejection of that. Right. But so interesting that there'd be a rejection of the, just the word man. <laughs> like change your last name like entirely. Anyway. All right. So. But um, not, I mean, we just really don't want to be pretentious. That would be the worst be possible awful. thing. <laughs> So they get married in 1947. Their marriage lasted 22 years. They had three kids. Uh, so after her first child, which was uh, her first child was born in 49, um, she did find a way to keep working. But after her second child, a few years later, she was not able to continue working. As we know, this happens. This is, I don't have to explain that, right? Yeah. Okay. It's hard to work outside of the home when you have a lot of small children in the home. Very difficult. Um, So as she was at home raising the kids, she did continue to find ways to write. And she essentially would just find like women's mech. She's a great writer. How did she do that when she was enslaved to domestic work? (laughs) I mean, how did she find any extra time to do anything? It's unbelievable. Well, and it's, it's really interesting she is a great writer. If you've ever read mm. The Feminine Mystique, it reads like she's a jur- she's a legitimate yep. journalist. It's a very easy read. It's not it's not difficult to read because she's a good writer. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of a good writer, I think. If you are reading something that is so difficult to slog through that it feels like a chore, the writer is probably not a great writer right. is one conclusion that I yeah. would draw. If someone teaches something easily, it means their comprehension. They've high. mastered it. They know it. Yep. Yes. Okay. So, um, in 19, so she started having kids in 49 in 1966. So again, she's saying that she's a woman. She can't work outside the home, but she is writing for women's magazines. And in 1966, right. she co-founded now, the National Organization for Women, which is still very busy group. Mm-hmm. Um, they were obviously dedicated to achieving equality of opportunity for women. She was the president. She um, fought uh, legally, politically for greater representation of women in government. Um, one really big thing she wanted was uh, child care centers. That was her daycare, child care. I mean, if you're if you know about daycare or child care, go ahead and just thank Betty for Dan. This was something that was really important to her. Obviously, murdering babies, very important, mm-hmm. getting that legalized because this was 1966. So this is before Roe, um, which didn't necessarily legalize. Let's not. Anyway. Yeah, we don't. She um, she campaigned. She was the head of campaigns to end um, sex classified employment notices. So like. 
I guess back then it was pretty common to be like, we need a man for blah, 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 or seeking women for blah, blah, blah. And she was very strongly against that. It just needed to be person. <laughs> like this was on her list of things. We need a person for this job. Like you weren't allowed to specifically request <sighs> yes. a man. <clears throat> yes. Um, mm. So it is still one of the largest um, women's organizations doing anything politically even to this day. So in 1970, she she was the president. Uh, she stepped down from that. And essentially, she didn't leave the organization, but she had other work she wanted to do. She organized the Women's Strike for Equality, um, which... Interestingly enough, I didn't really know anything about the Women's Strike for Equality. It reminds me a lot of the Women's March. Um, they held it on the first one on August 26, 1970, because that was the 50th anniversary of, they viewed that as the 50th anniversary of women's suffrage. Um, okay. And so the the campaign for the Equal Rights Amendment and all that. Um, let's see, in 1971... She was a founding member of the National Women's Political Caucus. Uh, and their, <laughs> their little catchphrase was to make policy, not coffee. <laughs> okay. Because, okay, like, the assumption is that they would take on, even in the professional workplace, you'd end up taking on these, like, sort of secretarial jobs like getting coffee and I just love that even in their desire to separate themselves from anything domestic that their catchphrase would still involve something about making right. food and beverages mm -hmm. for people like this is what we are not here for is like your position is just I don't know it just kind of tells you everything you need to know Betty you better I see you by the coffee you better get away <laughs> from it you said you would not be making any coffee that's your policy <laughs> like we're here to make policy, and our policy is we're not making any coffee. It's like, okay. Um, all the ladies that work here are really tired all the time. <laughs> they won't make well, any coffee. Well, you know, coffee. it's their policy, so. <laughs> no energy. <laughs> Only the men are caffeinated. Um, in 1982, so uh, she wrote and published The Feminine Mystique in 1963, which we're going to talk more about in a second. Mm -hmm. And that really was considered the beginning of the second wave of feminism was this book. Um, I mean, yeah, if you want to basically say a re-education camp squashed down into a book. It's The Feminine Mystique. Yep. In 1982, um, her, her next major work came out called The Second Stage, which was kind of a a sequel to the feminine mystique in terms of like, okay, we want women in the workforce. Now the women are in the, the workforce. How do you handle being in the workforce and your home? Like, what does that look like? Um, and then even further than that in 1993, she published the fountain of age, which was really about how to be an older woman. So she really wrote as she went. Um, but obviously I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to talk about her. Uh, because of the feminine mystique, because it was such a an important book, and because if you read reading it now in twenty twenty two, is just such a trip. Like it's a real trip, um, and it starts. I would argue, actually, 
I would argue that there are a lot of, as her starting point, she starts the book talking about the problem that has no name, which was about all the unhappy, unfulfilled women at home in the fifties. And it was a very, it starts very journalistically just describing the genuine state of women in the home. And it's super informative and eye-opening. And as I was reading it, I was just like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is still the case in many ways Mm -hmm. um, about how women feel at home. Um, Obviously, where the book ends up going, we wouldn't agree with. But, (laughs) you know, this is, again, this is something that you notice with all the waves of feminism is just because you can notice a problem doesn't mean you can diagnose it properly or have the proper solution. Right. That's our big beef with feminism. Yes. Is that it, it can't properly diagnose a problem. Number one, because it rejects God. So why don't we need feminism? It can't diagnose or give you a solution. So it might be able to notice, Oh, there's a problem. It can't actually tell you what the problem is. So her it can certainly distract you too. <laughs> yes. So her solution to the problem was essentially, well, if women aren't happy at home, then they need to get out. Mm-hmm. That's that is if I can reduce everything down, that is the sentiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is the position. Um and so she starts with the problem with no name. And then the second half of the book is really dedicated to, and particularly the last chapter, how to overcome the problem, how to overcome the feminine mystique. What is the feminine mystique? It's the set of assumptions that says that women are most fulfilled and happy as wives and mothers. That's what the feminine mystique is. And this book, she set out to write it to disprove that, Mm -hmm. to basically say, that's not true. Um, So how do you overcome that? So she says, she gives a couple steps. Step number one, the first step is to see housework for what it is, not a career, but something that must be done as quickly and efficiently as possible. All the automatic appliances are to save time that can be used in more creative ways. So here again, I mean, I would agree with that last part. Yeah, but her automatic assumption is outside of the home. Yes. Yes. Even though it sounds as though for at least a period of time, she used the benefit of all the modern technology to work inside of her home. Right. Well, and she, she points out something that, uh, was an issue in the 50s, which was that the nature of domestic work changed yeah. drastically mm-hmm. because we had automated dishwashers and yep. automated washers and dryers. And because you no longer made coats for the winter, you went to the store and bought them. And so housework changed. And it's interesting because, yeah, some housework is really mindless. That's just true. Like, we're not out to tell you we want your deepest satisfaction to be found in doing dishes. And if you can find, like if you have stuff going on that's fulfilling and biblical and faithful and you have a way of getting your stuff done faster, we're not, we're not telling you to go wash your clothes in the pool. (laughs) Like that's not, (laughs) you're only a real woman. (laughs) If you hang dry all of your clothes on the line out back. Um, 
But it's just, it's interesting that for her, the housework was something that was to be overcome as -hmm. though the housework was the problem. Right. So that is where our foundational disagreement would lie. I do agree that it has to be overcome in terms of like, you have to be able to do it with joy because you have a greater purpose in doing it because you're wanting to love your family and honor God and build your house. And that should be your motivation. That doesn't mean that washing a dish or changing sheets is the most fulfilling thing that you can possibly do. It's not the action that's fulfilling Mm -hmm. in that. What it is accomplishing is fulfilling. What it is doing for your people is fulfilling and is satisfying. But that's the thing is that there's a laying down of your lifeness involved in these mundane activities that 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 is what we should be pursuing. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't have that view. And if you don't right. have that view, I do think that work is going to be very discouraging. So that's it makes sense that it would be like, well, that's something you have to overcome. Right. And so the view of like, just get it done so you can move on to more important things. Well, in a Christian worldview, that totally demolishes what we think we should be here to do anyway. Because she's saying pursue self-fulfillment. Yeah. And well, because that's I mean, that's really the big disagreement we have, which is why why would it be helpful to expedite our tasks, our duty? Is it to further serve family, to grow ourselves, to engage in intimacy with God? Like, or is it do we get all those things done because we need time for our own pleasure? Right. Well, for her, it's you need to find your own pleasure. Right. And uh, the self-fulfillment and self-actualization is really interesting, too. I have a couple more quotes for that. Okay, so that was the first step. See housework for what it is. Uh, Get it done as quickly as possible. The second step is to see marriage for what it really is. Brushing aside the veil of glorification imposed by the feminine mystique, many women feel discontented and irritated with their children when they saw marriage and motherhood as the final fulfillment of their lives. And so isn't this interesting? I mean, can we not agree with that? We agree with that. Yeah. Can we not agree with that in part? I mean, man. (laughs) Like if you approach. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. Should I be? I shouldn't say man. (laughs) Woman. (laughs) Or or Dan. I'm going to start saying Dan Dan. when I'm mad instead. Oh, Dan. Oh, Dan. (laughs) So, okay. The statement, many women feel discontented and irritated with their children. When they saw marriage and motherhood as the final fulfillment of their lives makes perfect sense in a way. Because it's like, right. yeah, if you're, if. Her observation wasn't off. We're yes. not saying she was incapable of correctly observing things that she saw. Right. Her interpretation and application. All of her presuppositions totally here are <laughs> completely off. Why is that off? Well, I would argue that if you do see. If you are hanging your fulfillment on your day-to-day feelings and state of relationships with your husband and children, you are going to be a really fussy person. Because if ultimately you have to hang your hat and your feelings on your relationship with Christ, that is your final fulfillment. 
Like your, your job is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And if you're, and why, why is that freeing? Because God is always enjoyable to you if you're in Christ. He doesn't change. He doesn't have fussy days with you. He is not a child who can throw a tantrum or is sick or is difficult. He's not a husband that's kind of being a lump on the couch. Like, yes, if you hang your fulfillment on how things are going with sinful creatures today in your household, yeah, you're going to be really fussy. That's, That's absolutely true. Your purpose is to enjoy God forever. The end. It's not to enjoy dishes forever. It's not to even necessarily enjoy every moment with your child forever. Although I would argue you can find joy even in difficult moments, but that's not the point. The point is, is when, yeah, when you hang your hat on the wrong thing, it's going to be really difficult. Now, if you are hanging your hat and your enjoyment on Christ and what he has for you and where he's placed you, that is going to change how fulfilling you feel in your role as a wife and a mother. Because when I'm dealing with a difficult child or a discipline issue or or a sickness or I'm cleaning up puke or right. whatever have you, and I'm doing that out of service to Christ, out of devotion to God, that is absolutely going to change everything. Now, of course, her solution was, okay, well, if your husband can't ultimately satisfy every part of your soul and your children don't satisfy every part of your soul and doing the dishes doesn't satisfy every part of your soul, then I guess you leave and go find it elsewhere. Right. And what is the elsewhere? I mean, go take care of your soul. Right. And apparently we do that through corporate America. That's her, that's her honest to goodness solution through a job that can put a dollar amount on your contribution. And uh, this is a perfect time to point out that this is at the heart of feminism. Somewhere lies this envy of man. There is no objective standard that says a career is the most fulfilling thing you can do. The reason that feminists have come to that conclusion is because they looked at men, saw their, saw their own unhappiness and perceived that because their their man could leave the house every day that, that he must was be the determining free. factor that's why he's happier than right. me i stay here he goes out there therefore out there must be happier right he can just go do whatever he wants he has no responsibilities no sacrifice he gets <laughs> to go tend to his own soul and do whatever he wants all day long <laughs> well that is the perception right I hope it sounds fake to you. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know how, I feel like I hear a lot of people talking about how, oh, well, people just believe this because they've always believed it. I feel like this is one of those things where this belief gripped the American Mm -hmm. mind. And even though we know it's not true, Mm -hmm. we're not going to let go of it. Um, And actually, I'll get into that in a minute. Well, Um, and it's it's been intentionally woven in to our culture by these ladies that we're talking about. That's why we decided to talk about them this way. Right. They're the ones that did the weaving. Yes. I'm sure they would hate that I used a domestic term to weave, like weaving. <laughs> How dare. We, we don't do that anymore, Joy. We're fulfilled outside in our offices. Okay. 
So when this, this is just something, um, when I came across this, I thought, oh my goodness, this is what every Christian feminist is saying today. All of them. This is all of their positions. In fact, Ooh, I got, I'm so excited. I got, tr- I got in trouble a couple of months ago for saying the opposite of this. You? Me? No. What? No. <laughs> okay. She said, even, and this was in her chapter about how to overcome the feminine mystique. Even a very young woman today must think of herself as a human being first, not as a mother. Now, there's a whole, this is obviously a pull quote. There's a whole paragraph around this. Mm-hmm. But this is how women should view themselves, how we should be fulfilled, how we escape the feminine mystique. And I just thought, man, this is so, Christians say this now. Christians right. agree. You're not, you're not a, you're not a mother. You're not a female. You're just a human. We're all just humans. And that's how you need to see yourself primarily. But I would argue, well, yeah, that's how people that want to erase gender think. Right. Um, When you reject God, when you reject the image of God, you don't think male and female, he created them. You just think he created them. Right. But in that very important portion of scripture where we're told about the image of God, it's made in his image, male and female. There is no other option. There is no, there's no just genderless there's human being. There's not more and there's not less options. <laughs> there's two options. And it's like, you will never, this should be a very plain Jane statement, but you will never experience life as just a human being. You can't. It's not possible. You are a human being, male or female. You're not both. You're not less. You're one of them. And this is something that we've lost ground on because Christians aren't willing to say that. We also want to flatten the category because we're so eager to say that we believe in equal value and worth. We don't want to tell anyone that we're against their fulfillment because that has become such an idol in our culture. Right. It would be like heresy to suggest that. Right. That we think it's all an illusion anyway, but. Well, and it, it just, it makes this, this is. It's an unbelieving worldview. Yeah. Ultimately mm-hmm. to say I'm just a human being because that's not true. Right. You aren't just a human being. You are a human being. You are made in the image of God, either male or female. I will never experience what it's like to be a man. I will never experience it. I won't understand it. And here's the thing. I would argue that as human beings, men and women have more in common than we have in uncommon (laughs) that we have in difference right because we're humans made in the image of god Mm -hmm. um however our current culture is more in line even christians i think more in line with betty for dan right who doesn't want any of the distinctions whether or not they're minimal Mm -hmm. now i do think men and women are very very different right i'm talking overall grand scheme of things i do think we're human beings. So I have much more in common with a man than I do with a monkey 
or, you know what I mean? Much more, obviously, because we're made in the image of God. And that's a very unifying factor. Mm -hmm. However, the differences are also vast and important and meaningful and precious to God because he made them. They're they're outlined over and over again in scripture. (laughs) Yes, Uh, over and over again. And they're very important differences that Betty Friedan and most Christians today absolutely want to... I think, that, I think that that's something we don't realize has happened. We don't uh, realize that we have been encouraged to create that in this pursuit of equality that we have like created sort of a weird genderless androgynous. Right. We've been, we've, Even though yeah. the view of self-fulfillment is based off of a man's roles. Absolutely. <laughs> which is so interesting. So it's just covetousness. Like it's just looking over and saying, I want, Mm -hmm. we want that, what that role, what has been given to that role. Um, So, I mean, that's, it's a little interesting. Well, and (laughs) so she is completely right because a couple pages later, she says she must learn to compete then not as a woman, but as a human being. And that is the practical application. That is the practical application is that, Okay, if we are going to see ourselves as genderless, just humans first and not as men and women, then the practical application of that is that then we have to compete as just, quote, human beings. So we all have to move towards just an androgynous view of ourselves and of society. That is the practical application. And so I'll have a lot of Christians say, well, you know, uh, uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I don't see anything about men and women there. And it's like, well, okay, yes. However, what is the practical application of that? Do I glorify God the same way that a man does? Right. Like, I, my job is not to glorify God in protecting and providing for my home. That's not where God has placed me. That's not what God has said about who I am. Now, of course, there's exceptions to every rule. You might be a single parent. So as a single parent, as a single mother, yeah, maybe God has put you in a position to protect and provide for your home. That's not normative. Right. So, you know, lots of people want to make exceptions to the rule. It's like when pro-choicers are like, what about rape and incest? As if like... As if that's what is happening on a grand scale. Um, That's why abortions are happening. Um, Oh, I'm so sorry that my phone's And as if abortion is a legitimate response to incest or rape. Right. But the point is, I am a woman. I cannot glorify God in the fathering of children. I literally can't. Right. There are accommodations if you are in... An un, the non-normative experience. Well, but, and even if I was a single mother, I still wouldn't be able to father my children. Right. Yes. I can't. Right. I'm right. not a man. Yeah. I cannot glorify God by acting like a man. Right. So what is the practical application of being made male and female? It means that I have been put in a situation. I have been called to glorify God as a woman in this situation. This didn't need to use to be explained. But since right. things like the feminine mystique have gripped our culture so strongly, even Christians have a hard way seeing out of this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I thought it was... <laughs> This is super interesting. She said, women who do not look for jobs 
equal to their actual capacity, who do not let themselves develop the lifetime interests and goals which require serious education and training, are walking to a non-existent future. This, to me, is the ultimate sentiment of being, ultimately, being a wife and a housewife doesn't require intense education and training. It doesn't support you in your self-actualization right. and pursuit of, quote, who you are. Therefore, it is not valuable. It's not a valuable pursuit. Right. And she says it in such a way that you might miss it mm -hmm. if you're not paying attention. But she basically says your future is not existent if you don't have goals that require serious education and training. And honestly, I just want to say, stop being boring. Right. If you don't have any interests, you are boring. <laughs> right. And if and and I understand the struggle. We we're talking about this surge in technology that left women with all this extra time. There was also a time when homeschooling was a thing here. And then we switched over to public schooling. So all of a sudden, you didn't have your kids with you all day. And women had to... Uh, women out of like lack of discipline, I guess. Mm -hmm. We're just like, oh, I guess I won't develop any independent interests. I have some free time. I guess I'll just, oh, but my kids aren't home. So I guess I don't like anything. If, right. if you, if you are that way, you can change that. <laughs> right. Um, and you can, there's, and I disagree with her distinction of like training Mm -hmm. Like basically she's suggesting that you mm -hmm. can't, you can't actualize an interest unless you go to college mm -hmm. and, and be formally educated. Right. We, can we please just throw that out the window? Can we please? <laughs> I'm begging you. Just drop which, it. What she's saying is that like you are, which <clears throat> this is a pretty uh, political view of people and the collective but what she's saying is your value is based on your production. Right. Because if you need to go uh, hone your interests in by some sort of training or schooling, that means it is purely for the point for you to be able to enter the workforce and produce. Right. That. That's communist. That's communism. <laughs> Thank you. I mean. <laughs> and she was. Anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no one's surprised. <laughs> no one's surprised. I just couldn't believe how many times I'm reading this book and there were things that she was totally right about, but her diagnosis was completely wrong. Right. Ultimately, because she rejects God. And that she was saying that um, I'm told all the time by so-called like confessional reformed women, mm -hmm. they're saying the same things yeah. that she's saying. Mm -hmm. They have drawn the same conclusions that she's drawing. They make the same distinctions or non-distinctions right. that she wants to make. I'm just like, man, we have been hoodwinked entirely. Well, it's obvious. There is no, in all of these episodes that we're producing, there is not a moment where you will hear us say, these women are dumb. These women are not no. hardworking. Right. <laughs> these women did not achieve their goal. <laughs> like they did it. That's why we're here. She did it. <laughs> This girl can write, and she did it. I mean, especially it. Betty Friedan. She, the feminine mystique was... So we... Well, we discussed how women ha suddenly had free time. Mm. And they picked this book up. Mm -hmm. And this is this book is how they filled their free time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So super interesting. So it is considered one of the catalysts, right? Like this launched mm -hmm. the second wave. 
However, super interesting, um, by the 1980s, it was falling out of favor. And one of the reasons was that because a lot of women were in the workforce by the 80s, right. a lot of women did what this said. There were, so there were twice as many women in the workforce out of the home by the 80s than there were in the 50s. And they found that they still weren't feeling happy and fulfilled. And there were all kinds of new problems. That's why she wrote the book that she did write in the 80s, which was, okay, now you're at work. Right. And you're still not happy. And your life's actually really, really hard because you're working a full-time job and doing all the stuff that you were doing before. And your other full-time job. And you're really mad about it. Yeah. Um, so the book fell out of favor and was a lot less relevant to the time in a very short time span. Um, and then we also had the rise in the 80s of the, um, well, so Bell Hooks was a very popular feminist, African-American feminist, um, who said that the book was racist and classist, not at all applicable yep. to African-Americans and other working class women. Um, and then we had Daniel Horowitz, who wrote a book published in 1998 called Dan, Dan, Dan. Uh, He wrote a book called Betty for Dan and the making of the feminine mystique. And he basically just outed her um, because she was basically really dishonest about where she was coming from. Because if you read the book, the vibe she gives you and that she explicitly states, but that is maintained throughout the whole book, Mm -hmm. is that she's just this suburban mother and housewife. But please remember, she was a radical activist who graduated from Smith College, was a research fellow at Berkeley, and was super busy with labor unions. Um, So he, like, called her out saying she was... Like, she presented herself as just a simple housewife, when, but she was not right, that. She was the editor of the paper. She argued for non-intervention in World War II. She wanted union. She was fighting for union unionization wherever she went. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was an activist. Um, from 19... He, he published all this. From 46 to 52, she wrote for the Federated Press, which was the most leftist news service of the time. She wrote for the UE News from 46 to 52, which was the periodical of the United Electrical and Radio Machine Workers of America, the mm-hmm. communists. Yeah. Um, and basically, the con- the thesis of his book, his conclusion, was that basically housewives had to believe that she was just a suburban housewife in order for them to take the book seriously, Mm -hmm. in order for them uh, to agree with her. Um, Well, because she was already doing it and she still wasn't fulfilled. So. Right. (sighs) Right. They. Mm hmm. I know. If she had been a little bit more. Mm-hmm. genuine in her presentation mm-hmm. so bell hooks people wouldn't have been so surprised in the 80s when they were still they, not right not having a great time <laughs> so bell hooks said has some scathing comments and uh i just the third wave is not a big fan of the second wave no the third wave is um, is a reaction almost right um yes. in a way in some mm-hmm. ways 
Um, so Bell Hook said she did not discuss who would be called in to take care of the children and maintain the home if more women like herself were freed from their house labor and given equal access with white men to the professions. She ignored the existence of all non-white women and poor white women. She did not tell readers whether it was more fulfilling to be a maid, a babysitter, a factory worker, a clerk, or a prostitute than to be a leisure class housewife. Examined from a different perspective, it can also be seen as a case study of narcissism, insensitivity, sentimentality, and self-indulgence, which reaches its peak when Fredan, in a chapter titled Progressive Dehumanization, makes a comparison between the psychological effects of isolation on white housewives and the impact of confinement on the self-concept of prisoners in Nazi concentration camps, which was... I mean, I kind of agree with her on that last So, part. between Bell Hooks and Dan, one of them was like, she was not genuine enough, and the other one was like, she was too genuine and she sucks. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> She's not a good representation of women. Well, what we're, what we're starting to see in the 80s was mm-hmm. the intersectionality yes. coming alive. You'll see it. There's distinctions between all of these waves and you'll definitely hear us talking more about race in our third wave because that was a huge, like you said, I think the second wave, I like what you said. The second wave was kind of a progression from the first, whereas the third wave is a reaction to the first and second wave. Very reactionary. It's almost like a, it's even like a deconstruction of feminism as we knew it. Yeah. And then creating a new, yes, the new feminism we see today yes it really started with the third wave and it's it's i think the third wave is kind of hard to talk about because it's so different from the first two it it had had to have the first two to happen but it's almost mad about it right um so anyway i just i wanted to leave with because this is currently happening so now the national organization for women which betty our our, um exercise um no we kind of already did it i should have told you okay When we were looking, when I was considering that idea that she kept coming up, that she kept saying in the book, which was like, you're not a woman, you're just a human. I'm oh, like, okay. here's all the ways right. that okay. we still believe that. Right. But now, so her organization that she founded, um, I just read this this week, now calls for Biden to appoint intersectional feminist to succeed Justice Breyer. So we're in that really fun time right now as a country where a Supreme Court justice is stepping down. And so another mm-hmm. one has to be appointed. Um, and as much as I understand all the reasons why people are like, it's not as important as you think, but it's also very important. Um, Because there were a lot of things that happened this last year that if the Supreme Court justices that Trump had not appointed had not been appointed, we would be in a very different time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is very important. I wish that it was not as important as it is. Right. But it's very important. Um, There is a strategy that has been used since the, listen to me, 1800s. To get us to where we are now. Mm-hmm. Can we please stop saying that things don't matter <laughs> when they obviously matter? They really matter. Can we please <laughs> for to. OK, so to be aware of other strategies and to create better strategies of our own. Yeah. Can we please yeah. stop looking at someone's long, long game yeah. and going, well, they're not really trying to do anything. Can we please stop doing that? We have to, what I'm about to say is that. Right. Can we please stop doing that? Because, so like we were just saying, the idea of intersectionality 
really came about in the 80s and it was create literally created by African American women. Um that's where it came from. And we started talking about intersectionality years ago and people thought we were crazy. But now we have now calls for Biden to appoint intersectional feminist. And um, he promised. So let's see. Let me just read it to you. Um, Justice Breyer has served with distinction. He's planning to retire. Vision and courage for nearly 30 years, authoring opinions that strengthen women's reproductive rights, the rights of women workers, and he protected the Affordable Care Act. And now President Biden has the chance to make history. Now we'll hold him to his promise. I had missed this promise. Hold him to his promise to appoint a black woman to SCOTUS. That's what he promised in his campaign. I don't think Biden remembers either. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, we want to hold him to his promise to appoint a black woman to SCOTUS and ensure that she will hold intersectional feminist values. This justice must not only protect the current balance of the court, but strengthen and protect our rights for decades to come. So this is like you said, this Please is don't what... include yourself in the word hour. When <laughs> no kidding. Say that. <laughs> it's really not about your rights, by the way. But like you said, this is the long game. Yeah, This is the long game. And I think something that all of these seeds have been planted along the way that have allowed us to come to a point where this is the kind of thing that we're writing as women's groups. Mm -hmm. And if you go on now's website, what is it all about? It's all about um, minority women. It's Mm -hmm. all about LGBTQIA+. It's all about, and, and it's this genderless, androgynous, we are all just human beings uh, belief system Mm -hmm. that denies that God has made us male and female and that he has a purpose in that male and femaleness. Um, And of course, you know, you and I are allergic as we all ought to be of classifying uh, race and sexual perversion as a a minority, right? right? Like all of that is just so wrongheaded from the jump, but it's only possible if you insist that we're all just human beings, that God didn't make us male and female with a purpose. Right. That's what the LGBTQIA plus stuff denies, mm-hmm. right? There's no male and female with a purpose. We're all just human beings. So why can't we all just be sexually perverted with each other is essentially the right. position. Um, and then, of course, it's so... uh it is dehumanizing to say that someone's choice in sexual perversion is the same as somebody being black, white, or Asian. Right. Or It's like, that's disgusting because right. that also is something that's assigned by God. You're right. who your parents are, what you look like. Right. That's assigned by God as well. It's not the same thing as you choosing to be a sexual pervert. Right. And it should not be categorized as such. But anyway, that is where Ferdan's legacy, that's what her legacy has led to. If you go to that website, just scroll through it. That's her legacy. Um, well, and and the third wave, as we get there, obviously next week I'll be telling you about my second wave mm-hmm. lady. Um, you'll you'll I think it's going to become the second wave was vile, but the third wave is very distinctly vile. Um, in a weirdly different way. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I think it's just important. To remember, well, and the feminine mystique, it has plenty of vile yes. stuff in it. Yes. Um, 
I didn't spend a ton of time on the baby murder. Right. Um, but the baby murder is an outworking of a well, because it's of an God. equalizer. It's an right. equal because if the goal is if for you to be most actualized is for you to take the societal place of man. Right. Man does not have to have babies and work. Right. So mm-hmm. the only way for you to be equal, mm-hmm. a woman to be truly equal with a man is to not have to have a baby. Right. Um. Yep. But yeah, so it's I think it's important. I'm it's been so just and this is coming from someone who's already looked at this and already knows this stuff. Right. But I'm just continually surprised by how inclined we are to look at the first wave, especially and the second wave kind of a little bit and think like, oh, those precious old timey ladies with their pin curls. And but they there's nothing new under the sun. When we when we get to the third wave and you're like, man, this is vile and wicked. Just know <laughs> the way was paved by cute little ladies with poodle skirts. Yes. <laughs> and there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Ultimately. Yes. I think we need to start coming up with like a happy thing to say at the end. Oh, <laughs> because wow. It's eventually going to eat itself alive. And yeah, uh, I look forward. Christ is king. I look forward to that day. My dad keeps saying, like, maybe all of this, like, just crazy stuff that we're seeing in our society is, like, the way that God puts the foolishness and wickedness and, like, of secularism firmly under Christ's feet. Like, is this crazy time in history that we're living in where we finally destroy the wickedness that is secularism? Yep. Because we know that it will be put under Christ's feet right. and it will be completely crushed. Um, All of God's moves are power moves. That's right. Yes. Um, we don't know which power move this one is a part of. <laughs> but Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, that's it for this. So week. care, but don't. We told yeah. you to care. Yeah. We told you to not, you know, be apathetic. But um, why, why I think having these discussions is worthwhile is because... You all, we both, all of us need to be very intentionally not thinking the way that these women think. Right. And because they've been so powerful and because they've been so influential, there are ways that you might think the way that they think because this is the culture that you grew up in whether you were completely shielded you grew up homeschool like whatever through media that you consume it's impossible to not be touched by this yes it's impossible because you live here and you have eyes and you have ears and so and and because why my heart is in it is because of what i said earlier there are conservative christian women who agree far more with Betty for Dan than they do with Paul. They're soldiers for the wrong side. And they don't know it. Right. They, well, they might know it. That's but not for me to judge, but some don't know it. Yeah. We live in a, I like, I don't think for the legitimate Christian, we've talked about this. There is no excuse for extended ignorance. Right. Um, but we do live in a post literative mm-hmm. society that um, is kind of, uh, crippled a little bit when it comes to knowledge and worldview. And yep. there's a lot of important stuff we didn't learn and a lot of really evil stuff we did learn to be true. That's not right. true. <clears throat> so yep, we're 
I mean, it's 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 work that's worth doing, right? To root to root that out. <laughs> anyway, all right. You can leave us a voicemail four seven zero four six five. Wait, four seven zero four six five zero four seven five. See you next week. See ya.